Well, again, we're over in First Timothy chapter 4. We're going to look at the whole chapter as a, as a whole. We've covered the first couple of verses already in the weeks prior. But now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received, with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So those are the verses we spent a lot of time on last time. We're picking up on this. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused. It is received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. But reject profane and old wide fables. Exercise yourself toward godliness, for bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, for to this end we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe these things command and teach. Well, we saw how people got off last last week. We looked at some of the ways that people moved off of the truth and went after what was false so that we could be on guard against it and we would not follow in the same way. He elaborates on with this, of course, forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving. It seems that everybody who gets off begins to try and legislate spirituality. If you want to know a real good indication is someone is off spiritually, someone is off in their doctrine, are they trying to legislate you to be good? If they are, more than likely somewhere, you may not know all their doctrine yet, but you can pretty much tell there's off somewhere. Because if you follow after God, he doesn't do that. He'll tell you this is where you ought to be, but they don't. Sit, he doesn't sit there and say, all right, <laughs> don't eat this, don't go here. You know, he even specifically says, you know, food, whatever food you bless, you bless it. Glory to God, it's yours. Enjoy it. Don't get into all this fear stuff of all the people who try and tell you this food is bad for you because, you know, next week it won't be. That's why I don't give any mind to them. I told you before, some of that is just because I did some of the study and I know how they come, come to these conclusions. It gives me all the more reason to not give any weight to it. But beside what the, the natural people do, uh, it, it, you have a couple of schools of thought this in the spiritual realm. Some people go to the Old Testament and say, all right, these things were off base in the Old Testament, therefore they're off base for us. So pork is no good. So if you're enjoying a good sausage, if you like uh, pulled pork sandwiches, oh, I mean, how can you not like pulled pork sandwiches? Oh, oh man, boy, they are good. Uh, you like that pig cooked out in the hole in the ground? What do they call that? Um, oh, the, 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 pit, the pit they put them into? I mean, that's some good pork right there. If you, if you like, that's a, that, that is just excellent. And bacon. I mean, everything is bacon, better with some bacon on it. And I don't mean that turkey bacon stuff. I want the real good stuff. I want the real thing. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so either. I don't know of any bacon in them. I don't even know any bacon in, in a beef. I just know bacon comes from one, one spot. But, you know, that's one of the big things that they'll, they'll pick on, and they have other things as well. And they'll say that, you know, you shouldn't eat this and this is, uh, well, you know, that Jesus with Paul or with Peter showed them all these things are good. Now, if you don't want to eat them, if you feel somehow it's bad for you, then don't. <laughs> it's fine. But if you try and push that off on other people, now you're wrong. See, anything can be okay for you to be wrong with, to, to not be, that's fine. You can have, you can have a belief that is not good to marry, that is not good to eat certain things. That it's weak to eat vegetables, stuff like that. You can have any belief you want, but as soon as you try and legislate that and push that off on other people, you have erred as a minister of the gospel. But you can have any belief that you want. Just live up to it. That's all. If you believe that it's wrong, then it is. <laughs> That's what the Word of God tells us. If you think it's wrong, it is. Doesn't matter if it's wrong in the Word. If you think it's wrong, it is wrong. Now, there are some things you may stay away from just simply because you don't like them. 
I've used wine as an example with that one. There's a lot of people who, you know, legislate wine. You can't drink wine. You shouldn't be able to and so forth. I don't ever do that with you. I just tell you I don't drink it because I don't like it. That's a, that's a real simple way right there. And uh, if anything, I am very religious about that. I will stay away from that. That's uh, I can smell wine a mile away. I don't like it. But I don't push that off on anybody else. That's not a spiritual belief. And if we start to legislate things like that outwardly, we are wrong. So all you need to do is find out people that are legislating these types of behaviors. Behaviors that are not said by the Word of God to not be wrong, to be okay. And as soon as they start legislating these things, you know somewhere their doctrine is wrong. They have missed it. He says right here, For every creature of God is good. That means if you don't like calamari, <laughs> no, every creature of God is good. It's, uh, it doesn't matter if you like squid or octopus or all those other kind of... If you want to eat, if you think they're good, they're good. I'll tell you what, if you calamari, whew, there's a restaurant down the road from here. Sometimes I just dream of it at night. <laughs> oh, man, is it good. Mm-mm-mm. Real, real good. If we go over and go down to that place, you will see me get the appetizer, and I won't let you have any. No, I'll let you have a little bit, but I'll tell you, it's, it's good. But you see, if you, if you like it, enjoy it. God said everything out there, it's for you. He created it all for you. If you don't want to eat certain, certain things, good, don't eat it. It's more for the people who do like it. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. That's the main thing. Receive it with thanksgiving. Don't receive it with fear and trembling. Don't eat something. Well, I hope this doesn't kill me. Because people will try and do that to you. People try and do that all the time with me, Diet Coke. I drink Diet Coke with thanksgiving. Every time I chug one of them things down, glory to God for Diet Coke. Thank you, Lord. Because, oh, I love drinking that stuff. And um, if you don't like it, that's fine. Don't drink it. It means there's more for me. But you're not going to put me in fear. People try and do it. You're going to die if you keep drinking that stuff. I am not going to die from drinking Diet Coke. I am going to die. But it won't be from drinking Diet Coke. Or iced tea or whatever else that we want to, want to do. You won't, uh, you won't die from it. If you instruct the brethren, well, if it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer, just bless your food. Just pray over it. If you go over to a restaurant and you say, well, I do all these kind of things in the restaurant and they might die from the... No, just pray over it. Word of God says, if you drink anything deadly, it won't harm you. So believe it. Go into the restaurant. Eat. Enjoy. Go home. <laughs> That's it. But see, instruction that comes from a minister of God, and we're all called to be ministers of God, should not put anybody in fear. Don't be doing that. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of God. Well, that's pretty good. You will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. So these are the things that we ought to be instructing people in. So if you want to be a good minister of the, of the gospel, stay away from what is false or not of God. Don't legislate spirituality. And if you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of God, of Jesus Christ. First off, he talks about being nourished in the words of faith. Nourish them in the words of faith. Don't nourish them in the words of fear. You can listen to some people who have come out of their, their churches and yet listen to them and they're fearful. They've been nourished in the words of fear. You can nourish people in the, in the words of hate. Don't nourish people in those things. Nourish people in the word of faith. Simple. You can nourish people in the words of division. It's our group and nobody else's. Some churches are out there. You know, if you're part of any other church, you're not saved. Division. And if you go up and you talk to these people, I was just listening to uh, Brother Willie George. He was talking about a particular minister in the town there in Tulsa. And he said this particular minister in the church taught that... Um, uh, anybody outside of their church was unsaved. And so him being a minister of a church other than his, obviously he was unsaved and leading a whole bunch of people unsaved. And uh, Brother Willie George is one of the larger churches in Tulsa. And he relates an example of uh, how this, this guy, he was almost always in a suit and tie and he 
saw him this one day, and he was was I don't think he had the tie on, but and he didn't have the suit coat, but he pretty much had everything else on, dress shirt and dress pants and stuff like that. And he said I could tell from watching him; he apparently lived pretty close to him. He said he was getting ready to go on vacation, but there were apparently some things that had to be done before he'd go away on vacation. And then he proceeded to get the lawnmower out, and he'd already uh, brother Willie George had his uh, lawnmower out and was already cutting his lawn, and pretty much had finished his. And he saw over there that uh, and he deduced that this guy could not go on vacation until he had cut the lawn. <laughs> so he got an idea, and uh, he went on over to him, and he said, uh, look, you're getting ready to go on vacation. This is the guy who doesn't believe anybody else is saved. He says, uh, you're getting your way to vacation. Go. I got this. And if it needs to be cut again before you get back, I'll hit it again. And he told the guy again. The guy was stunned. He didn't know what to do. <laughs> now, see, that's the guy who preaches... A, a message that is not divisive. But he preaches a message that is of faith. And so he can go over there and he can do that of faith. He's not in hate. He's not in, device, in division. Uh, the other guy couldn't. You need to get over that. So you can tell how people are nourished. You can tell what they're nourished in. Nourished in the words of faith. And of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. How many of you all know you can tell people that are nourished or fed good doctrine and those who are not? People that are fed good doctrine are rock solid. You can't tip them over real easy. You can't throw them on things. You can't throw uh, false at them and not have them recognize it because they have been fed on good doctrine. Reject profane and old wise fables. Now, see, people hang on to these wise fables, uh, things that you just believe. There's no foundation to it. We just believe it. And, and yes, why do you believe that? I don't know. I was told that that was true. You know, we've got, talked about before, but that whole thing of going outside without a coat on. There is no scientific proof that if you go outside without a coat on, you're going to catch cold. None. There's, there's no proof of that. Now, if you're cold when you go outside, put a coat on. It's what coats are for. They're there to keep you warm. But um, you are not going to... There's no scientific proof. But how many of y'all believe that? How many know people that believe things like this? But there's no proof to it. Well, we don't need proof. We just believe that that's so. Don't believe things that aren't proved. Especially what he's saying. Don't believe fables. If you're going to believe something in the Word of God, if something in the Word of God is worthy of your belief, there should be factual reasons for it. And we've given you our list here that we we always hold to. First off, it is taught directly. And it is taught often. Beside that, someone has demonstrated it. So it's taught directly, clearly, it is taught often, and it is demonstrated. If it doesn't do these things, then it's not something you should order your life by. Sometimes some of those things are just good to know. But the things you're going to order your life by, hold to these things. You won't buy into these, these fables and these uh, things to, to do. You, you, I mean, listen to some of the Christians that are out there and some of the things that they believe will, uh, will affect them. You know, well, I need a miracle from God, so I'm going to take these uh, beads and I'm going to rub them and pray this way. And What? Where does that come from? Well, I believe that I need God, so I'm going to pray to this saint. Why? What, what is that based on? Where is the belief of that? Well, I believe that if you... Uh, how many have seen the... I, I haven't seen them in a long time, but I know that they used to do this. They have to take this prayer and publish it in the classified ads and... and uh, <laughs> I think a newspaper started that, <laughs> that one. So you've got to take these prayers and you've got to publish them in the, um, in the classified ad. You've got to pay for the, the thing to be published. And, you know, these things will come true for you. You haven't heard that one? Oh, man, I'll tell you, I just cry when I hear those kind of people. And, and they, they follow after it sincerely. I sure hope that no one here in this church would ever fall for any of those kind of things, that you require proof. You require some evidence. You should. I don't ever want to teach you. I don't want you to take anything even from me or anybody else that we bring in that you know we know well. If, if they're going to teach you something, there's some evidence to it. Look for the evidence. And exercise yourself toward godliness. Well, we, that's the end result. We want to be godly. We want to be godlike. And put in your outline, godliness for the spirit is better than exercise for the body. Godliness for the spirit is better than exercise for the body. 
Now he says here in verse 8, for bodily exercise profits a little. Brother Hagin used to always tell us this. I still remember, I can still hear him saying it. He said, get the little that it profits. <laughs> he'd always tell us that. Every time he'd read this, bodily exercise profits a little. He always followed up with, now get the little that it profits. But um, godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that is now and of that which is to come. And so that's where exercise has its problem. Exercise benefits you in this life now. But spiritual exercise benefits you in this life now and in the life to come. Now, how long are you going to live on this life? 60, 70, 80, 90, whatever it is that gets you satisfied. But, you know, somewhere in that, uh, somewhere probably under 100. I've already told God I don't want to be here at 100. That's that's enough years to be down here. But anyway, somewhere, let's just say under 100. How long are you going to be on the other side? So that's a lot of hundreds. (laughs) Right? So whatever benefits you for the 100 or so years that you're down here, if you... Go after spiritual exercise. It will benefit you for this hundred years or so, plus all those untold hundreds. That's a big comparison. So get both. But understand that the godliness is profitable for all things, not just for what's going on down here. So this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. Well... Let's go on to verse 10 here. For to this end, we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. For to this end, what end? The end result we are going for is godliness. That's the end result, isn't it? Godliness is what profits uh, more than exercise. That's the end. The end result of what we want is godliness. That's what we're all doing this for. Why do you go to work? Is there an end result? I want to make money. I want to have enough money to take care of my needs now and store away some for the future. That's our goal. That's why we want to, that's why we go to work. Our motivation to go to work? To make money. Our motivation for going after God is to become like God. We want our actions to be like God. So I put it, uh, I, I don't know if I... I think I left this in your outline. Uh, I was running out of room, so I had to pull some stuff. Becoming like God, as I I put in there. We need to become like God. We need to be acting like God. I need to be becoming like God. There's a process in becoming like. I am becoming like. Doesn't mean I'm like God now. Doesn't mean I'm instantly made like God. It means I am becoming. There's a process to that. I need to be acting like God. We get around certain people. We begin to act like those people. You need to be acting like God. Thinking like God. We need to stop thinking like natural people and begin to think like God. That we have our thought process that thinks like Him. And fourth one is responding like God. How many of y'all know we don't always respond the way God responds? But to become God-like would be to be Becoming like God, acting like God, thinking like God, and responding like God. 100% of the time. (laughs) 100% of the time, if something comes to me, I think like God. I act like God. I respond like God. 100% of the time. That's our goal. We are becoming. How many know we haven't got there yet? That's because we are becoming like God. It's a process. doesn't all just happen all at one time. But we have a goal. We have certain situations that may cause us to not act like God. So we need to get stronger so when those situations come upon us that we don't be like that anymore. For to this end, we both labor and suffer reproach. The word labor is the Greek word that means or that suggests vigorous work. How many know that there are some things that you do, there are some things that you work for, and there are some things that you vigorously work for. <laughs> we don't always like the things that we are vigorously working for, but in, in reality, if you are vigorously working at it, you can only do it for a little while. You can work all day, 
but that vigorous, that extra, you can only do that for a little bit. You know, like moving a piano. That's vigorous work. That's heavy. You don't do that all day. You do it for a little bit of time. Even piano movers don't do it all day. They're driving the truck. They're setting up. They're putting together, taking apart. And then all of a sudden they are moving the piano. So there's some vigorous work that's involved with that, but that's not all that you do for the whole eight hours. But he's saying that this is a thing that we vigorously work for. We both vigorously work for to this end. It's going to take some effort. It's not something that's just going to happen. It's going to take some concerted effort on your part, deliberate effort. You are going to have to do it on purpose. Just going through the Christian walk does not mean this will happen. Sometimes we get that idea. If I just be a Christian for a long time, go to church, study the Word, sing songs, pray, that eventually I'll just become godlike. No, it takes vigorous work. It takes effort. It doesn't just happen. How many of you know there's some things we'd just like to happen? You know, in the, in the bunk bed business, I would like it to just happen. People just call up and say, I want this bed and this number and by next week. Okay. <laughs> it don't just happen that way. There's some work involved. I have to vigorously go out and advertise. I have to vigorously go out and find places to, to, to drum up new business. And when then people respond, sometimes I have different ways of responding to it. Sometimes I'm excited. Oh, an inquiry. Sometimes I am bogged down with bunk beds. I've got 10 on the board. I've got a bunch of other people that are thinking about it. And whenever another request comes in, I'm thinking, oh. <laughs> I got to take time from making beds to, and so, you know, sometimes I don't always, always do that. But, um, there's, there's different responses to it. Sometimes I, I've even gotten to the point where, you know what? I'm just tired of making bunk beds. Last for about a week, then I get back into it, but, there are times I just get, you know what, I've been making bunk beds, bunk beds, bunk beds, bunk beds. <laughs> I just want to stay out of that shop for a little while. Especially in, in this kind of weather, it, um, that shop, it takes at least until after lunch just to get warm. Now, the last couple of days, it hasn't gotten what you would call warm. I can work in there as long as I have a, a shirt on, a long sleeve shirt on, and a sweatshirt on with the heater going. <laughs> and you know, sometimes you get up in the morning and you think, I don't want to go in there and do all that sort of stuff. <laughs> because it's cold and it can take some of your your effort away and so uh, you don't always feel like pushing and and going after it Um, but you do you just keep on you keep on pushing because we want the end result you know if you want to get the money (laughs) you got got to for me I got to make the bunk bids if you want to get paid so that's what you do and you you work vigorously at it you go after the thing Get it done. That's what he's talking about. You got this end result. Now work for it. It is not going to just happen. It's not going to just come to you. Remember back in the garden. What did God say to Adam? In toil shall you labor. It was always meant for men to labor. Always meant for men to labor. When we go into the new kingdom, guess what, men? We're going to be laboring. I don't know about the women. I just know it was always meant for men to labor. <clears throat> when we get into the new kingdom, we're still working. We're still lifting stuff, moving stuff, building stuff. We'll still be doing that. I, I don't know, you know, after the thousand year, what happens after that. Probably the same thing was supposed to happen in the garden. God does not want us to be idle. But you see, he says, in toil shall you labor. <laughs> How many of y'all know we've labored in toil? It's been hard work. Well, it was always meant to work, but it wasn't meant to be hard. You're supposed to enjoy it. You're supposed to have fun. Ever had a job where you had fun at it? You couldn't wait to get to work? Oh, I can't wait to get out there and to do this. And Oh, that's what we want. Mm-hmm. That's what we can, we can do. But there's a toil to it right now. That'll be gone. For to this end, we both labor and... Suffer reproach. The word there, suffer reproach, means to defame, rail at, chide, taunt. It was used in Matthew twenty-seven forty-four. If you don't know what that says, I'll read it for you. Even the robbers who were crucified with him, Jesus, reviled. That's that word. Him with the same thing. 
So what it talks about here is that you will both labor, putting all your effort to get it done, and people will pick on you for it. They will revile you. They will defame you. They will rail at you. They will chide you and they will taunt you. Does that sound like the Christian life? As you become more godly, they will come after you. The world will come after you. They're going to, they're going to do that. Anyone who is pursuing a life of godliness will see this kind of response from the world. That's why if you, if you are questioning the character of a particular individual who is well-known, how many of y'all know there's some well-known people out there? And some of them pass themselves off as being Christians. There are some actors, there are some preachers, there are some politicians, there are some people that are pretty famous that pass themselves off as Christians, right? Watch this. How does the world respond to them? They're going to tell you right there. If you want to find out how how godlike these people are, watch the world. How is the world going to respond to them? How did the world respond to Jesus? How did the world respond to Paul? How did the world respond to Peter? How did the world respond to John? How did the world respond to Daniel? How did the world respond to Abraham? How did the world respond to Moses? And the list goes on. How did they respond to them? Chided them, chastised them, taunted them. That's what they do. If the world loves and accepts them, I'll tell you what, I would shake in my boots if I was in a church with a minister that the world loved. I would be nervous as anything. Something isn't right here. Because if you preach the message of the gospel, you are not going to be loved by the world. Won't be loved by Now, I know there's that favor of God and men and all that sort of stuff. And, uh, and they can't stop some of the favor of God coming. But the worldly people that are out there, especially the press, the press is a fantastic barometer. Look at uh, political candidates that they have berated because of their faith in Christ Jesus. There are some people who are just Christians in name. And what does the press do with them? They're fine. But there are some Christians who are Christians indeed. In the words that they say, what what does the press do with them? It crucifies them every which way that they can. Because this this is what the Bible promises you. This is what Jesus promised you. He said, in the world you will have tribulation. You're going to have persecution. But don't worry. He says, I've overcome the world. <laughs> Glory to God. He's overcome the world. Don't ever, don't ever fear them. But just understand, you know, they're like a Geiger counter. You can't see radiation. But a Geiger counter, what's it do? It goes tick, 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 tick. The, the louder it gets, the more radiation is uh, there. You can't see radiation, but it's bad. So all you need to do is use the press as your Geiger counter. If they like somebody, your Geiger counter ought to be going off. If they don't like somebody, they're probably okay. <laughs> they're probably okay. They are, they're, they're not good that way. I've told you some of the church history. You would think, I think I told you the story of this. You would think of with my love for history and the fact that I was going into ministry, that church history would just be my most well-known, well-liked topic. But at King's College, I hated the topic. Barely made it through the course. I graduated with that one, that one with a C. And we had the foremost authority on church history in the country, Dr. Howard Voss. If you look at most church history books, you will see his name on the side, V-O-S. It's his name. I had him as a teacher. I hated church history going through it with him. I couldn't wait to get out of the class. Couldn't wait to get done the class because there was no life in it. And all we learned about were people that... uh, it just it was there was there was nothing good about it, nothing good nothing good about history at all. Then I went down to Rama and Dr. Cooper Beatty was my instructor there, and he taught us about church history. And he started bringing out the the light of the gospel. He said the light of the gospel has always been present. You see, when Dr. Howard Voss taught me, the light of the gospel seemed to have gone out. I went through age after age, century after century, and it seemed like the light of the gospel had gone out. That there was no light. But Dr. Cooper Beatty came out and he started bringing out... Now, you remember these guys? How many remember the Waldensians? No, not many. 
Peter Waldo. He was the guy who headed them up. And uh, they've been branded heretics. But you know who branded them heretics? Catholic Church. During a time when the Catholic Church was more worldly than the politicians were. Oh, they were so worldly. They would teach us about that. That's why I got so depressed about church history. Like, oh, these guys are awful. Dear Lord, they're not, they're not godly at all. They're the most ungodly group of people. And they were. If you ever studied them, oh, they were terrible. Oh, they were awful. Worse than, the, the, the worst sinner you can imagine today, those guys beat them. They were terrible people. And they were the leaders in the church. And that's why I didn't like studying. And so he would go through and he would tell us people. And I would remember. That's why I remember Peter Waldo because of Dr. Cooper Beatty. That's why I remember Savonarola. I mean, who would remember a name like that? <laughs> 50 years prior to Martin Luther. And should have been the revivalist. If he had been the revivalist, you would have had a revivalist instead of Martin Luther who was caught up in the uh, more in the law than... than the, and I know he was trying to shake the church free from some of it, but he was still caught up a lot in the law. Savonarola was speaking in tongues, prophesying. Some of the things he prophesied came true hundreds of years later. He was uh, well-versed in the gifts of the Spirit. But you see, uh, he didn't have the support that Martin Luther did, and they burned him at the stake. Because he, but he was spouting the same thing of, of revival. But we don't know about him too much. But the world didn't like him. Now, the world didn't like Martin Luther either. I don't want to try to say that he was a, he was a bad guy. He just, he was not as good as a revivalist as far as we were looking at the revival that should have come as uh, Savonarola was. Um, but he still, you know, helped out a whole lot of things. But just look at how the world responds to him. I think it's the easiest uh, thing in the world. How does the press, how does the world, how do people of the world respond to certain ministers, to certain people, to certain public figures? That'll tell you right there. You get those ministers up there, man, woman, don't matter, and they say Jesus is the only way. What happens? What was the response that the press gives them? Forget all the stuff about the gifts of the Spirit, speaking in tongues. You get into that, and of course you're going to be branded. No, man, it's all, it's over for you. But just if you want to say Jesus is the only way, what will they do? They will crucify you. They will take you down. So those are your Geiger counters you can use. But you're going to suffer reproach because we trust in the living God. They don't want you to trust in the living God. Not the, not the living God. They, they, you can trust in a God. <laughs> That's fine. But not the living God. That's all they care about. Who is the Savior of all men, especially those who believe. Now, why does he throw that in there? Especially those who, we, who believe. Well, it's simple. He died for all men, but the ones that it affects are those who believe. So he's the savior of the whole world, but especially those who believe. Because they get it. <laughs> they get to take it home with them. Go on to the next life. Well, in the same way as we look at this list, we can see some of the traits of a good follower. You don't have to fill any of these things in. I wrote them all out there for you. Find and stay with what is true, with what is pure. That's a true follower. A true follower of the gospel is one who will find and stay with what is pure. How many of you know followers of the gospel who have found what is pure and leave it? That is not a good follower. A good follower of the gospel is one who finds and stays with what is pure. Uh, pursue true spirituality, not legislated ones. There are a lot of people who want you to tell them how to be a Christian. Tell me what not to do. Tell me what to do. All right, I should be at church on Sunday. I'll be at church on Sunday. What kind of things should I do in the, during the week? What kind of things should I not do? And they just listen to that list and they just follow the list and that's all they want to do. And you will get to a certain level with that, but only so far. I don't know if I've, I think I may have told you this in times past, but probably not a long time ago. So you know, it can be forgotten. But way back when I was taking over a youth group, um, I took over a youth group and it was in disarray. It was, it was functioning very badly and people were doing a lot of things in the youth group that they should not do in church period, but certainly not in the youth group. So, um, you know, they, they went on to this creation festival every year, and so I was going to take them. And so I gave them a list of rules. I gave them three pages of rules. And I know we've talked about that at times, but I want to bring your attention to one in particular. Uh, one of the things that they had a problem with was dating. They did not date people correctly. They dated incorrectly. They dated wrongly. And uh, they were not told that it was wrong. And so there was behavior going on in the physicality area uh, between men and women or girls and boys 
that should not go on. And I was privy to this. I knew some of these things. And, and they had apparently, I mean, this is, this is shocking to me, but apparently they had gone away on overnight trips together and things happened that should not happen at all, but happened in a church event. So we won't elaborate on that anymore, but <laughs> that is apparently what went on. So I have gotten word of this, that this is going on in this thing, and here I am. Uh, I have to take these kids out on an overnight. Not only overnight, we were gone for almost a week. It's not quite a week. It was uh, four or five days, something like that, but I had them for all those days. And so, um, you know, it, it, that'll get you to seek after God. <laughs> God, what am I supposed to do? So what we came on in there with, you know, we gave them three pages of, of rules, <clears throat> but uh, two-thirds of those rules were about dating. It was about dating behavior. And we basically said nothing happens. I mean, that's the summary of it. Nothing will go on. And so, But some of the rules were there will be no hand-holding, there will be no kissing, there will be no public displays of affection of any kind. There will be no private displays of affection of any kind. <laughs> there will be no girls and boys going off together anywhere at any time. You will always be chaperoned. You will always have someone with you. And if you are ever found to be off by yourself, that is a violation. We listed it all out, what the violation was and what would happen. And the first thing that would happen if you, on this particular thing, if you violated it, you were chained to a counselor of the same sex you were. Chained. I mean chained. They, you didn't go to the bathroom without that counselor being around. And if that counselor didn't want to go to the bathroom right then, you weren't going. I told them this before they would go. So we did all that, and uh, don't you know, somebody broke the rules. But they broke it with somebody who wasn't with our group. So I can only discipline half of them. <laughs> right? The other half I can't discipline. Uh, they were not with our group. And uh, to tip all that off, they were older. So um, uh, we did that. No, I'm not going to get all the, all the things that went on with that. But anyway, we chained them to a counselor. And I said, violate it again. You're on a bus and you're going home. I'm not following it around. And I said, it, I, 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 she crying? It doesn't affect me. You can cry all you want to. It's not going to affect me. And I make a decision based on what needs to be done, not based on tears. So she cried and she fussed and she did whatever else. And see, ya. that's what it is. Now, if you don't like it, go home now. Save me some trouble. <laughs> that's, that's just how it was. But, you know, I had to deal with, you had these people, they were used to doing certain things. You had to be firm with them. And so we were firm. And that was the first time that anything happened. I'm sure that other people were watching. What's he going to do? Is he going to soften like people had before? Are we going to be able to get away with things? So, you know, it had to, I, didn't, I wasn't going to make an extreme example of it. I just was going to do what we said we were going to do. This is what we said we were going to do, and we did it. And I didn't step it up to try and make it a, to, to try and emphasize it. Just, <clears throat> this is what we said we were going to do. So she had, I think I told you the story. She said to their counselor that she was chained to, she said, I wish my dad would have done stuff like that with me. That shocked me. I did not expect that kind of a reaction out of it. But anyway, uh, they were good. No more trouble for the rest of the trip. No more trouble from anyone else for the rest of the trip. Everybody else was good. Everybody else did what they were supposed to do. It was fine. We got through without any other incidents. And nobody had to be put in a bus and sent home. Good, because I didn't know where I was going to take them to put them on a bus. <laughs> All we had with us were the bus. But uh, I would have called the parents and had them come out and get them. If... Uh, that's where we had to go to. But anyway, we get down there for the second year. This is what I want to get to. And the second year, you know, you seek after God on everything. And so I sought after God on this one. I didn't just give them the same set of rules. I sought after God and we gave them this, uh, more of a set of rules. And we took out some of the rules about dating. I think one or two. I think I allowed them to hold hands. <laughs> I think that's what I did. But um, there wasn't too much else that was taken out. Uh, it was pretty much, and that's what it's year two. And we had no trouble. We had no complaints about the rule. We had no complaints out there. We had nobody who tried to disobey the rule. Everything was fine. We had a good second year. Third year came on up. And so we're taking them on out there. And it was either the third or the fourth year. I forget which I think it was. It was anyways, the last year I took them. The last year I took them to the camp. I was praying over the thing and, you know, with the, for the, what the rules are. Because, again, I don't ever just hand out the rules because these are the rules. I, God, what are we supposed to do? They've been taught for three, four years at this point, and you expect some growth. And so every year the rules did change. Well, in this particular year, I, uh, I told them, I gave them a one-page thing of rules. And But for the dating rule, it was the shortest of all the rules. 
And it was basically this. I expect that the way that you have been taught in the Word of God and the way that you have been taught to conduct yourselves in dating relationships, that you will continue when you are out there. And we left it at that. Now, the punishment for breaking rules is still all the same. Understand that. <laughs> that part never changed. You break the rules once, this is what happens. You break the rule twice, you go home. Not always stayed that way. And so we did it. Now, here's the, I didn't really think about this too much, but this just particular time, I was dating someone. All the other years, I wasn't dating anyone. I didn't date anyone the whole time I was there at church. I was getting ready to leave, and um, I was dating a person at this time. And so the, there was a, a rumor that came out that the reason I changed that rule <laughs> was because I was dating. I didn't even dawn on me when that was going on. didn't even think about it. And I had told the person I was dating, I said, you remember the rules, how they were before? That's the rules for us. That's the rules we will follow. We're not going to do as it is there now. We're going to follow the rules that I expected them to follow in the years prior. But that was just something I told her. I didn't tell anybody else that. And so I didn't really, you know, no one really came up and told me all these things. And so I just, we just went on through and we had a good year. Everything was fine. Everybody did what they were supposed to do. We didn't have any discipline problems. We didn't have anybody doing what they weren't supposed to do. They behaved like men and women of God. Together and apart, whatever it was. But uh, a, a year, sometime later, one of the leaders who had been one of the leaders, he, he came down and he sat down with me. We were having lunch. We were, you know, trying to put into him to get, grow him up and things. And he said, you know, I've got a problem with you. He says, I think you changed that rule because you were dating somebody. I said, ah, well, I'm glad you told me about that. I says, no, that's not why I changed the rule. I said, but I can tell you, I said, I, I understand what I'm going to tell you. I didn't plan. It just happened that way because I just asked God each year how to do it. <clears throat> I didn't plan this. It looks like a mastermind plan. I said, I didn't plan it. I just, every year I did what he told me to do. And then last year I did what he told me to do too. But I will tell you, it made me nervous. I will tell you that. It made me nervous to go with that. I was still, I was looking at that for a while. You sure? <laughs> you sure we want to do this? And God says, yeah, trust him. And so we did. Because yeah, these, these were kids who took the word of God seriously. And they were applying it. They were studying. They were really doing some. They was changing them. It was changing their lives. And so um, I said, no, that's not what happened at all. I said, it was simply this. I said, in the beginning, I had to uh, dictate to them what their behavior would be. But over the course of these years, they've been taking in the word and they've been feeding the word. And the word is dictating what their behavior should be. They don't need me to dictate it anymore. And if I continued to press and to dictate what was already coming up on the inside, I would suppress what was coming up on the inside. Now again, I didn't know that at the time I was doing it. And his his jaw dropped and he just looks and says, oh, I see that. I says, yeah, I told him, he says, you'll see a progression from year to year. I said, yeah, I never realized that before. He said, I'm so sorry I, I accused you of that. I said, I did, I said it's, it's not my master plan. I didn't come up with it. I said, it looks good. I'd love to take credit for it, but it wasn't my master plan. But you see, this is what uh, true godliness is it's coming up on the inside of you and and sometimes people want still to be legislated christianity but god doesn't want legislated christianity he wants it to come up from your spirit and you do it because it's coming up in your spirit and you do it up do it because that's what's on the inside of you to do because you're going to run into some situations where you don't have a rule and what are you going to do you got to know how to feed off of that spirit we're going to see he's going to reinforce what I just told you here in just a little bit. <clears throat> but find and stay with what is pure. Pursue true spirituality. Follow after the things instructed, not the instructor. That's real important. Too often a follower will follow after the instructor and not the things instructed. Follow after things instructed, not the instructor. Paul says to them, follow after me as I follow <laughs> that's what you, you have to understand. That's your ultimate thing. But what he's trying to get them to do, all right, follow after me. But after a while, you ought to be again to see where it is I'm following. You'll be able to follow it directly yourself. Engage in God-like behavior. Find and stay with what is pure. Pursue true spirituality. Follow after the things instructed, not the instructor. And engage in God-like behavior. Become God-like. That will make you a good follower. Also make you a good leader. Verse 12, these things command and teach. Notice that these things command and teach. In other words, commanded at first, 
but teach it all the while. But don't wait until they get hold of the teaching to get the behavior. But eventually, the teaching should overcome and you no longer do it because of the command, but because of what's on the inside. Command and teach. These things command and teach. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in impurity. He is telling them to be an example to the believers. You are not going to be an example to unbelievers. They can't follow after what you do. But be an example to believers in word and in conduct. These first two are in regard to public actions. In word, the things you say. In conduct, the things you do. Those are things that people see. And those two areas do that. But the rest of them here, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. The rest are inner qualities that motivate outward actions. They are inner qualities that motivate outward actions. If a person is just outward actions and no inner qualities, falseness will be found. And he wants true, trueness. Now, how can we understand our growth in these areas, in these target areas? He, and he goes on to talk to us about some of this. Till I come, give attention to reading, <clears throat> to exhortation, and to doctrine. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. Paul's coming, but he says in the meantime, Timothy, this is what I want you to do. I want you to, as, as the, as the uh, pastor there, focus on some things here. First off, reading. Secondly, exhortation. And third, doctrine. Remember, prophecy is, prof- is profitable for exhortation is one of them. But let's go over all three. Till I come, give attention to reading. Now, he's not just talking about him sitting down and reading the Bible. He's talking about him as far as his duties to the congregation. And so he says, read the word. Now, that's the thing that you've noticed. And I know you know why we do this. But every Sunday morning, what do we do? We read the word. There's some part of the word we read. We got uh, Daryl back there. He runs the computer. And has there ever been a Sunday you don't have to put verses up on the scripture? He's always putting verses up on the on the screen for us to read. There's always stuff for us to read. We don't just, <clears throat> sometimes we'll skip over, we'll skim over a story and we'll tell you some of the, the things like we did uh, just a couple weeks ago. We did with the um, Absalom. And we recommend everybody go on home and read it because we couldn't sit here and read four or five chapters. But you go home and do it. Some of you did. I appreciate you all coming up and saying, hey, we read that, we followed on through. That was great. But we had a lot of other scriptures we read, didn't we? We were in a whole lot of scriptures in that day. And uh, I, I heard this, I think it was either from Brother Tony Cook or Brother Doug Jones. I forget which one was was about it. But they were talking about, I'm pretty sure it was, it was uh, Brother Tony Cook, that um, uh, Brother Hagin, when he would be up there in front, he would be reading the Word, because Brother Hagin always read the Word. When he was teaching, whatever thing he was going to read, he was going to preach from, he would read it as you're going along. He didn't just refer to it. He would read it. I say that because how many of y'all know there's people out there, they preach a 45-minute sermon and never read the Word once. They talked about it. But there was no reading of the word in there. No, read the word. Read the word. And he would tell us, he said, how many of you heard stuff in the scripture as Brother Hagin read it that you never heard before? It's like, is that in there? <laughs> and he, he taught it to us this way. He said, there, as there is an anointing to teach, when you hear someone read the word under the anointing, you will oftentimes hear stuff you didn't always hear. I thought, oh, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> we always read the Word here. We're going to sit there and we're going to go through the, the Word. It's important. I don't want to forget reading the Word. We aren't going to forget reading the Word. We read the Word. So he's talking about this. Read the Word. Don't you, Preachers who just skim over the Word and don't ever read it in a 45-minute hour teaching frustrate me. And I don't listen to them for long. I'll give them another shot. But if you're not going to get in there and read the word, I really don't need to listen to you. It's important. Read the word. And I'll tell you, no matter who it is, we got some preachers out there. They just reading the word. And I think, oh, I saw that. Oh, yeah. Brother Keith Moore might just be reading the word. Oh, yeah, I saw that. But listen to um, um, uh, uh, Fred Price Jr. 
He's reading the Word. He's reading the Word. Oh, yeah, I see that. Oh, I, something's completely different from, his, from what he's teaching. I'll tell you what, I've, <laughs> he sounds just like his dad. He teaches different. Somebody told me he teaches just like his dad. doesn't teach differences from his dad. I hear differences from his dad anyway. I love his dad's teaching. But um, his voice, it's, it's I think, is that not his dad? <laughs> but I'm glad that, uh, that his stuff is out there for, because I'm having a hard time finding his dad's stuff, which... Um, I really enjoy But they both would read the Word. They, they read the Word. They don't just... Uh, in fact, uh, brother, I think it was uh, Brother Fred Price who would always, every time that he would get in there, he, all right, everybody turn in your Bibles over here. Ready? Read. <laughs> you remember him doing that? And we'd all read it together. <laughs> That's good. That's good stuff. I, I enjoyed that about him and what he did. But you see, there's a reading of the Word that needs to go on. He goes on from that. Reading... Lost my, uh, lost my place. There it is. Attention to reading, to exhortation. In other words, somebody put it this way, preaching. The, the preaching of the word. Uh, and to doctrine, the teaching of the word. Or, you know, instructing them into the, the, uh, the doctrine, the, the principles of the word of God. Teaching should not just be emotional. There ought to be principles, there ought to be principles you ought to come out with. Somewhere along the course of that teaching, there ought to be principles that guide your life. Otherwise, what good is it? It's just information. So he said, give attention to these things. Read, exhort, and doctrine. Make sure you have those things. Give attention until I come. Verse 14, do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of hands by the eldership. Word there is presbytery. You know where church got their name from? From that. But don't neglect... The word, the, the gift that is in you. If you, I think it's in the, um, or if you look up this word, it actually talks about make light of. Don't make light of the gift. How many times have you know God has given you a gift? How many times are you tempted to make light of it to other people? Well, yeah, but I don't really do it all that well. Well, yeah, but I, you know. No, don't make light of the gift that God has given you. God has given you a gift? Yes, God has equipped me to whatever it is. Don't make light. Don't have to sit there and blow your own horn or, you know, <laughs> make a big deal of it. But don't neglect it. Don't make light of it. Don't neglect it. Whatever the gifting that God has given you, put everything to it. This is a gift that God has given me. Now, put something to it. Sometimes we think, well, I got a gift. I don't really have to do anything with it. I have a gift. No. Look at some of those folks that were, were given a gift to uh, play a musical instrument. What do they have to do? Practice, dedicate themselves to it. You look at some of the greats, the, the Mozarts, the, the Beethovens. Uh, young age. How old was Mozart when he wrote his first piece? I mean, I don't know what the age was, but it was young. It's unheard, in my mind, it's unheard of. That uh, Brahms, how much did he put time in, into doing all those? Uh, even in, in uh, modern day things. Uh, for violins. I mean, we have some great violinists going on out there. Itzhak Perlman. Have you heard, heard him play? My, uh, uh, Nikolai was telling me that he met him. I thought, oh, wow, that was, that's something else. Uh, Sarah Chung was a, another one. If you ever heard of her, I've had uh, pieces done. I actually pursued them. I said, These are good people. They have uh, done well with their, their craft, and I like certain pieces of things. So I went after them. To, uh, all right, what, is it, what has Sarah done? What has Itzhak Done. I've got some of their pieces on there, and I just like to sometimes listen because they are the violinists, and here's some of the things that they do. But you see, they were they had a gift, and they they had to press in, didn't they? They had to practice and practice and practice and practice. And some of the great singers they had to sing and sing and sing and practice. It's it. You have to put yourself to it. Just because you have a gift doesn't mean it's just going to work. You got to put. You got to apply yourself to it. You got to go after that thing. Don't neglect it which was given to you by prophecy in the laying on of hands by the eldership. Meditate. Another way, our, our, uh, another thing for this is practice and attend to. Practice and attend to. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. That your progress, progress or growth, that's what we're, we're talking about there. If we're going to grow in a thing, we're going to progress in a thing. <clears throat> Progress is measured in conduct, not training. 
If you're going to take some of the great violinists, if you're going to take some of the great composers, if you're going to take some of the great singers, what do you judge their greatness on? How well they sing, play, write, whatever it might be. That's what we judge it on. We don't judge their greatness based on how much schooling they went to. We don't judge their greatness based on how much practice they have. We judge their greatness on their conduct. How do you do when you are doing it? That's what causes someone to be great. Progress or growth is measured in conduct. In the same way, our growth in the spirit, our growth in ministry, our growth in the gift is measured by our conduct with it. Not by our training. Does not matter how long we have been training for God, how long we have walked with Him. What matters is how you doing. How where are you doing? How much like God are you? That's where it all comes down to, isn't it? Like the difference between homework and test for a student. Homework is one thing, but tests are another. Some teachers actually grade the homework into your... But a lot of them don't. A lot of them, you do the homework because if you don't do the homework, you're not going to do well in the test. Uh, if you're an athlete, there's training and events for an athlete. You, you train so that when you show up at the event, you're not embarrassed. But you, you train and then you do the event. The purpose of training, the purpose of homework anything like that, is to get you to accomplish the task without consequences. Right? That's the purpose of training. To get you to accomplish a task without consequences. So you can do the same thing when there are consequences. That's the reason that the violinist practices the piece before they go on and they perform it is because there's no consequences right now. If I mess up, oh, we all laugh about it, we go on. But when you are on the stage and this place is filled with people watching you, there are consequences to messing up. People laugh. People, You may have played every other note perfectly, but what are they going to make note of? Oh, did you hear that mess up? <laughs> Training is to get you to accomplish a task without consequences so you can do the same thing when there are consequences. That's what you got to do. There's, there's, there's going to be consequences there. And there, there's going to be pressure. If I do not change my actions toward others, what good have I really accomplished? If I study the Word, if I listen to the Word, if I let God have all these, give me all these revelations and speak all these things to me, but I still treat people the same way, what good have I really accomplished? I haven't really accomplished anything, have I? I'm still treating people the same way I treated them before. It's not having an effect upon me. Progress is measured in conduct, not training. That's where it's measured. Verse 16. Take heed to yourselves and to the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Well, is salvation? Because the word there, save, is sozo, which is the word for Salvation. Is salvation based on faith or is it based on works? It's based on faith, right? But what's Paul telling him? Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Well, I rephrased it a little bit so we can understand a little more what, he's, what I think he's trying to say. <clears throat> Don't neglect your own walk in ministry to others. Don't neglect your own walk in ministry to others. In other words, don't get so lost in ministering to other people that you neglect your own walk. How many of y'all know there's some ministers out there who have worked so hard in ministering to other people that they have turned out to be scoundrels? They didn't watch their own life. They were so much careful about watching other people's lives and helping other people in their walk and preaching to other people <clears throat> but in their own life, they didn't apply it. It didn't change. That's wrong. Don't neglect your own walk in ministry to others. Make sure that you stay 
mindful of the things that you instruct and teach, help others in, that you walk in them. So that this way, not only will they be saved by the principles you're giving them, but so also will you. Paul says, don't, don't lose yourself in ministry. Keep going on. Oh, thank God we have, we have his help to keep us going on, to keep us moving. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us in ministry. That we want to take heed to our own selves and to our own doctrine to make sure that we don't miss it as we instruct others, as we help others. We want to become good followers and good ministers for you. We see what the qualifications are for those who want to move up in areas of ministry to other people. And we want to have those qualities going on in our life. We want to have our conduct to be changed by your word. For all the training in the world is no good if it doesn't change our conduct. We thank you for the help that you give us in this, that we can learn and be made better. For our goal is become godlike, to increase in godliness. And we thank you for the help that you give us in that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.